the nation of Israel at this point has come out of slavery. They went to Mount Horeb and received God's law, the Ten Commandments. God brought them to the promised land, told them to go up and take it, and they went, ah, we're scared. God went, you don't trust me. And because you don't trust me, those of you who did not trust me, that generation will die in the wilderness. Your children will go up and do what you refuse to do. And so, waiting for that generation to die, God brought them to the east side of the Jordan River, facing west, ready to go into what is modern-day Israel and take the land that He ultimately had prepared for them. Deuteronomy essentially looks back you know, it's a, Moses is retelling this new generation all that has happened, all that they have heard growing up about the things that God had done for them. And one of the things that God did for them was give them the law, the Ten Commandments. And so that's where we're at right now. As we Last week we started looking through the Ten Commandments uh, we got through two of them, a whole whopping two. We're going to get through a whole whopping two more today, uh, which breaks down the first four. Two and two, math in public, would be the first four. And the first four of the Ten Commandments deal with what? Yeah, kind of the vertical relationship. You know, what is, what is man's relationship to God? Is that something we should come up with? Yeah, no. No. Um, who is responsible for the parent-child relationship? It's not the kid? kid can't determine how he wants to... Okay. Okay. And, and so therein, you know, as Frankie's over there with his son. He's probably not going to pay attention to this. Yeah, <laughs> um, and we'll get to that. We'll get to the the this relationship, but it's really the one who is responsible has the responsibility for conveying to the underling what that relationship is going to be. And so God is making clear in the first four of the Ten Commandments how this relationship is supposed to work. First commandment. Brr, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Again, last week we talked about, when we, when we looked at this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Was that a good thing or a bad thing? Good. That's a great thing. You were in bondage, I freed you. I freed you for blessing. I, I freed you for purpose. I have a plan for you and it's a good one. I have a land that I am going to give you. In this. So, you know, this is not, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. It's, I am the Lord your God who rescued you. You shall have no other gods before me. How many are there? Real or fake? <laughs> there's one, there's one, there's just, there's just one. So, ultimately... You shall have no other gods before me. He points out, don't be a dope. There aren't any other gods 
he goes on in the second commandment to highlight this. Don't make something and bow down to it. Don't make something to enhance your worship. Why not? Because it detracts. Okay, it, it detracts from what? From God. How? Because you're, you are worshiping something other than the one, the only one, that is worthy of it. It diminishes in our view what God or who God is. Okay. If you have someone who shares that image of God, if God is here... Well, I also love money or I love things, then God is, is one of the many things we worship, as opposed to He is the true God we worship and nothing else. Can close. What'd you say to him? I'm sorry. Uh, I said focused on the thing. Yeah. You know, we, we misrepresent God when we use something as a vehicle to worship God. Because we begin to look more and more at the thing. Uh, a couple of really powerful quotes from John Calvin, who has thought way deeper than I have ever thought in my life. He says, man's mind is like a store of idolatry and superstitions. So much so that if a man believes his own mind, it is certain that he will forsake God and forge some idol in his own brain. God says not to make a graven image, not to make a physical representation, but we know within Scripture that there are all kinds of things we can make idols out of them, out of, and they're not necessarily physical. Football, you know, it's football day, and so for some people, football gets to the level of idolatry. What's Tuesday? It's election day. <laughs> There's a flag on our calendar. What's that there? There's a. <laughs> it's election day. It's election day. Can politics become idolatry? Sure. Oh, yeah. oh my. Yeah. Holy cow. Calvin also said, he said, a true image of God is not to be found in all the world. Hence, his glory is defiled and his truth corrupted by the lie whenever he is set before our eyes in visible form. Okay. God's majesty is diminished when there is a likeness made of him. Who said this? He said this. He said this. He is the one who is telling us, don't do this. Don't do this. We're getting into, finally, here, the, the second two commandments uh, about how God wants us to orient ourselves to him. Uh, verse 11, this, this one's simple, pretty straightforward. Verse 11, Kate, would you read verse 11 for us, please? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes, this, who takes his name in vain. Man, that, that, the wording to us, to our ears, is foreign today. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. 
uh, okay. Well, what's it mean? Um, so let's let's kind of break this down a little bit. Can you think of uh, a situation or a person where that person's name is on the same level as the person? Where... Okay, all right. Stalin. Okay, negative examples. You know, Billy Hitler. Graham. Billy Graham. Gandhi. Okay. Gandhi. Okay. I mean, immediately, you think of this person, you don't just think of a bald guy in a robe. Do you? You think of all the Gandhi inhabits. You don't think of a funny little guy with a mustache when you think of Hitler. You think of Jews being gassed and torched by the millions Okay. Excellent. Another, you know, Billy Graham people come into Christ all over the place. Uh, Mother Teresa. Corey Tenboom. Yeah, I mean, great, great examples. Might I use another person's name in my comings and goings? Is there any example in our in our world where somebody uses the name of another person to get something done? Don't name droppers. Okay. Well, I mean, even the term, I'll tell the cops. I'll have this. Okay. For good. How about an ambassador to another nation Perfect. doing something, speaking for Perfect. the President of the United States? Probably, the, probably the, the most powerful and representative, no pun intended here, uh, example. We have ambassadors all over the world. You know, to most, I believe to most countries, probably not all of them, but to most countries, to do what? Represent U.S. Yes, to represent the U.S., part of the executive branch, actually, and so they represent at the tippy top, Donald J. Trump. So when they speak, they're speaking on behalf of Donald J. Trump. Okay? An ambassador goons something up in Zimbabwe, and he's going to get fired. Why? Because he misrepresented Donald J. Trump. You know, every one of you, and myself as well, you know, when you hear the name Keith, you don't go K. Okay, there's a K in there, and the E, and the E in the I. Is it I before E, or is it? No. No, you don't, you don't do that. You go, that, that's that guy. That's that guy at church. I know, I know a guy named Keith. And the name really is the person. I mean, your name is... is it is who you are. You know, it, it almost goes without saying. And so God commands us, do not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. God's name represents him. We see this all throughout scripture. Okay, here we go. We're going, we're going assignments. We've got a whole bunch of, of passages. Shauna. Chapter 12, Ty, 
chapter 26. Danae, 1 Kings 5, Frankie's hands are full. Tracy, Psalm 103. Joseph, Acts 4. Marie, you got a Bible over there? Sweet, excellent. Colossians 3. Add Philippians 2, please. Thank you. Okay. God's name represents him. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 5. You shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place, and there you shall go. To put his what? To put his, to put his name for his dwelling place. To put his name. God's going to choose a place to put his name for a dwelling place. You know, if you walk outside this building, walk across the street, look up, you see Hadrick across the top. Okay. This place they're going to building, build the temple, it's going to say God? No, where he is going to dwell with them. He's going to dwell with them. 26, verse 2, Ty. Verse 2. You shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground, which you harvest from your land, that the Lord your God has given you. And you shall put it in a basket, and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. Okay, so he's talking about the offerings. You're going to take your offerings to the place where his name is. Where he is. Where he is. First Kings chapter 5 is this time. It is this time where they have, they are, they have made the dwelling place. They're about to make the dwelling place. Chapter 5, verse 5 of First Kings. And so I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord said to David, my father, your son whom I will set on your throne in your place shall build the house for my name. Okay. Solomon recognizes his responsibility from David, his father, is to build a place for God's name. And again, it's not the beacon or the banner. It's not a banner. It's him. I will dwell with you. The images we have in the New Testament or in the in the book of Revelation is not where the New Jerusalem comes down from heaven and it just has God's name all over the side. No. I will dwell with you. The Lamb and the Father will be the light to the cities. There will be no need for light in the streets. We don't have to worry about electricity. It'll be great because God Himself will be the light. We see this played out also in Psalm, uh, in the Psalms, Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, all that is within me, bless his holy name. Amen. <clears throat> the Psalms are poetic, not in that they rhyme to our ear, they rhyme to our mind as far as idea is concerned. The ideas are parallel or contrasting. Usually one line uh, as far as the cup, couplets. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless him, his name. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. 
What is that name? Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven by which man may be saved. So if I have a little ticket that says Jesus Christ, I'm good. No, it's absurd. We go, that's silly. That's silly. There is no other one. There, there is, it's, it's not, it's not the, the name per se. It is who the name is. We realize this. God realizes this too. Colossians 3, verse 17. Paul says elsewhere that we are ambassadors of Christ. Do all in word or deed, whatever you do, to include what? Everything. 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 Well, you know, I'm just going to check out here. You can't. As an ambassador of the United States, you are an ambassador to the United States. Well, I'm taking the day off. I'm going to Monaco. And you, you, you can go to Monaco, but guess what, Junior? You still represent the United States. And you do something stupid there, and pictures are taken, you're, you're gone. You are, if you are saved, if you have been redeemed by Christ, you are a, an heir to the king. You are his child. You are therefore a prince or princess. And I don't mean that with tear and little frills and cuteness. I mean that with responsibility. You bear the name of Christ. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Christ. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Name, name, name. A name that is above all names. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, every tongue confess. The name that should Make us tremble. And what do we do with that name? Okay. So in light of all of these passages, what then does it mean to take his name in vain? To do something in God's name that's evil. Okay. To kill someone and yell out, Allah Akbar. Okay, God is great, and then I blow you away. 
Okay. I don't. Take it lightly. Take your bang. Like say, like OMG. Oh my God. Using Jesus Christ. Just something just goes your way. I don't think that's using. I don't think these, that's using the name of God in an evil way. It's saying the name of God, but not in an evil way. So I don't think it fits the description there. Okay. But we cheapen it. We do. We we dishonor the name in that manner. I just treat it as a cast off. We are supposed to revere the name. We are supposed to treat it with with honor. Okay, not as an idol. Not a, I don't just put it on. I don't just tattoo it to my shoulder and go. Okay, I'm gonna. No. No. You know, in in all of my heart. You know, to, to say, to to say, oh God, when a disaster befalls me, might be the absolute right thing to say, oh God, because my my heart is calling out to Him. But if I say, oh God, and I am not calling out to Him, eh? You know, I I treat the name as a common thing. It is, a, it is a common thing. It is not revered. One man said, you shall not lift up the name of Yahweh, God, God's name, without reason. Why speak his name? Because I'm either A, speaking about him, or B, I am speaking to him. What other reason would I have to speak the name of Jesus Christ? Go. Has anyone noticed how like strange this expression is? It's like no one ever like hits their hand like Benjamin Franklin. Oh, oh Muhammad. Like and just you're like you're like why are you calling out Benjamin Franklin? <laughs> and but it's amazing to me that it seems like a colloquial or kind of a thing that's unique in modern times was not unique in modern times and was happening back then. The only thing I can think of for like why, why is this a, this a thing is that um, the idea of calling out the way you did in a relational way with the relationship with God, that people tend to do that almost to save face and because they know it's what they should be doing or to look good um, and then, it, and then from, from that it's slowly morphed into just an expression. But I was trying to think of the, the origin for, for how this even came about. That, saving face and substituting relationship yeah. for just a feeling that you're, you have this feeling and it's a, whether that's shock or amazement or pain and you just throw, throw there's, a, there, there's a, a, a staunch virulent atheist where I work and he will use Jesus name all the time all the time you know, I, or, and God's name I go I remember growing up, my dad, who was not a religious guy, but he would quote scripture when something bad happened. He would just say, Jesus wept. <laughs> I'm quoting scripture. I can't believe this is going on. Yeah. You know, but to do this, to do this is, again, we, we look at all of these passages where God's name is high and, and exalted, and God intends 
for his name to be high and exalted and not to be misused. Now, we can take that to an extreme. There are some people who will not, you know, when they will do that when they're writing it. They won't even write the name. You know, the Tetragrammaton, Yahweh. Okay, we're not going to write out the whole name, so we're only going to do that. Okay? I don't, I don't think it's a dishonor of, of God to have God in the Bible. Or if I'm writing an essay about him, if I am honoring him in the essay, to have God's name there. Some people won't even speak it, won't even say Yahweh or Jehovah for fear of mispronouncing it. And, and you know, I don't want to belittle them. If they are honoring God that way, great. I would rather you go that way and not dishonor God as long as that doesn't become a, a, a legalistic, pharisaical thing for you. But I would say we're too much to the other side. I'm going, eh, eh, he doesn't care, he's God. Seems to care. He seems to care an awful lot. So, talk amongst yourselves throughout the rest of the day to figure out is there a way in my own life where I'm dishonoring God in how I speak His name? You know, in in my prayers. You know, do I dishonor his name as I pray? Is is Lord simply an uh for me? In my my prayer, because I can't think of anything else to say, Lord. Oh Lord. I'm I'm uh, so that I would even be conscious in my prayers of do I do I revere and honor him and bring him glory? as I speak and use his name. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Vanity, meaningless. To use it meaninglessly. Vanity, purposelessness. I have a question on, you know, a lot of people use it as a curse. Mm -hmm. They sure do. I heard I heard John Piper in one of his podcasts say, God damn this. And he was mad. But he was calling upon God to bring, and I don't remember the instance, to bring damnation on this thing. Is that a serious thing? Absolutely. Absolutely. Should we call upon God to bring damnation to a person? And he was not. He was not. It was not an individual. 
No. Why not? God's the final judge, not us. Absolutely. What should our desire be? Their salvation. Absolutely. God, redeem this. You want to you say something? God, redeem this. God, save this person. But there are things in the world where, oh, please, God, bring destruction to this thing. You look in the Bible, the illustration in Acts. Who was Paul? He was Saul. He was a persecutor killing Christians. Yeah. But God saved him. Yep. All right. There's there's more we could we I mean we could probably spend the rest our remaining fifteen minutes there. Let's move into the Sabbath, an, another one where as Christians we kind of go eh. Sabbath eh. <laughs> what? Uh, Kara, would you read? Uh, let's see. Twelve and thirteen. Again, this is the second telling of it. In the first telling of it, as God commanded Moses, what did he tell Moses to do with the Sabbath day in Exodus 20? No peeking. He did. But here he says, observe the Sabbath day. He said, remember. God said, remember the Sabbath. To keep it holy. Okay. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And here Moses adds. As the Lord your God commanded you. Okay. Hey I'm hearkening back to this is the second time. I'm reiterating what was stated earlier. God said to remember it. Moses says to observe it. Is, are those different? No. Carry the same weight. No. No. I would, I'd say they're different. I mean because I can observe like the church, but then I can like remember, I can observe it and do nothing. I mean, you can observe something, but then you can remember it and think about okay, it. Okay, but what is the meaning of the word observe here? Does the meaning observe passive? Yeah. No, it's not. It's not a passive observing. What does it mean to observe something in the sense that it is spoken of here? Follow it. Follow it, do it. Did you say remember it? Yeah. yeah, okay. To remember it, what else was said? said conduct, sanctify. Conducted, sanctify. I mean, good words, good words. Essentially, you know, observe this thing to, to honor it. If, you know, if I'm going to observe Chris, Christmas, I'm not standing by passively going, ah, that was Christmas. It's almost, no. It's almost to say, like, that's what Chris, Christmas is for us, tree, presents. And so you say, remember Sanctuary. Christmas. It's not like... Oh, the idea of the word, you're like, remember Christmas, that we have to do Christmas. They're connected. Yeah. So the word, the, the actual word here means to keep, to guard, to guard this day. Guard the Sabbath. Heed the Sabbath. To keep it holy. To keep it holy. What does that imply? It is holy. Okay. The Sabbath is holy. 
Why? Why? When, when did he make it holy? Day seven. Yes. Is this a Jewish thing? No, it's a God thing. We go all the way back to day seven when God went, I'm done. And he did nothing. He rested. Did God really do nothing on that seventh day? No, of course not. The, the universe would have imploded, disappeared right then. God is always at work. Okay? But he did no new creating on that day. His creation was complete on that day. And Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20 gives us the example, tells us, and I'll flip there, I won't... Um, God specifically states that his resting on the seventh day is an example to them. Uh, Exodus 20 verse 11 says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Then, back then, so the Sabbath day... Is holy. Did you ever know that? Is you blitzing through your Saturday? Did you think of it at all that yours that this day was holy to the Lord? Kind of like what we did with like taking in the Lord's human being. We kind of instead of being actual the day of holiness, it starts to become oh, I have to go to church today because everyone else is doing it. Okay, is this the Sabbath day? No, it's just the day we observe. Okay. It's not. Yesterday was the Sabbath. Shabbat. In, in Hebrew, Saturday is called Shabbat. Okay? Sabbath. It's a Sabbath day. But you just clarified that this isn't a Jewish thing. So You're right. So... So now as a, as a New Testament Christian, I'm going, ah. Well, it doesn't change the fact that they were Jewish or not, that Saturday is the seventh well, yeah, day. Well, yeah, but, the, the, last happened, day but, the, but the, the week-long week for us is de was determined by man. Okay, now hang, so, hang on. Yeah. Who, who determined weeks? God. God did. God did. And it's very interesting. Some people have talked about, let's, let's do eight-day weeks because we'd have more produ productivity. What they find is we don't. Right. You know, some people have, you know, trying to go to 10-day work weeks, and that seventh day of rest is necessary. Interesting. That we tend to really start to wear down if we don't get a day away from our work at least every seventh day. Oh, weird. Crazy. Crazy that. Okay, yeah, go figure. But notice... Verse 14, I didn't have Carol read it at the very first part, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. Ooh. A Sabbath to the Lord. The whole root of the word Sabbath means to stop. 
If you were to break it down, I'm not a Hebrew guy, but I know where to look. Okay, I can have tools. It means to, to stop, means to desist, means to stop working. That's what it means. It means to rest. What it means. So, okay, we've talked about no application yet. We're not going to yet. So we're going to go on because God is specific here. On it, on this day, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox, or your donkey. Are you kidding me? Yes, no. Or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave. Now, this is, this is beautiful. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. How many days off did they get a week? And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord God, your God, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Oh, by the way, you were in slavery for 400 years. And I brought you out. Why would you not take a day of rest? Are you kidding me? Like, really? I should have to tell you this? But again, so far, and I didn't put the other two up there, um, with regard to, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. There are no other gods. Do I really have to tell you this? Yes, because you are an idolatrous people. You shall not make little, what? I was just going to say, we see that with the whole captivity. They went into captivity. I mean, part of it, part of the timing of it was because of the sabbatical years that they were not giving to the land that God had commanded. Yes. Oh, you know. Uh, oh, uh. Speaking of that land, I remember when we lived in Altus, we went to church with, he won the Oklahoma Farmer of the Year, and he followed the, you know, the biblical letting your land rest every seven years. And it was, you know, it's kind of stuck with the sun sun. Is, is God going to bring this guy to ruin for doing that? No. Can you think of a company that has decided, hey, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take a day off a week? Best trucking company in the world. <laughs> <laughs> is it is it is it crushing Chick Fil A? No. I uh, know. No, it's not. Actually, a girl that I'm in the junior league with is the COO at the Chick Fil A here, and she says that we have weekly training. We let our employees off on Sundays to go to church. <laughs> like that's how they, you know, that's how they do their yeah. training. I mean, God's God's gonna take care of you. You know. Oh, but we, you know, I gotta I gotta go get the manna up. No, I'm gonna give you twice the manna on Friday. You get twice the manna on Friday. Pick it up. It won't rot. The one day a week, it's not gonna rot. Will be the Shabbat. The Sabbath, you'll be able to carry it over. It won't get wormy like it will the rest of the week. God will take care. And notice he says in this, 
You shall remember. On this Sabbath, verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. So on the Sabbath, you are to remember you were a slave. But you are not anymore. And what should that do? That should explode in you in prayer and praise and thanksgiving to the living God on Shabbat, on the Sabbath. It's just the same for us. Huh? It's the same for us because we were slaves to sin. Hmm. In, in Nehemiah, Tracy mentioned the fact that Israel ends up going into captivity, and, and part of it is they failed, they did, they failed to give the land rest. And God says, I am going to give the land rest for all the years you did not. That's how many years you're going to be in captivity for. Okay. Well, they come out of captivity, and Nehemiah is very passionate about this. Um, in Nehemiah chapter 10, it says, The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his rules and his statutes. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. This is what Nehemiah has declared to the people. We will not do this. We will observe the Sabbath. A couple of chapters later, the rubber met the road. In those days, chapter 13, it says, I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath. And bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Okay. Uh, I confronted the nobles, verse 17 of Judah, and said to them, what is this evil thing that you are doing profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way? Did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel, profaning the Sabbath. 19 through 22 continues the same way. We're going to pick up there next week. Because I didn't get through the second one. We're going to pick up there next week. Nehemiah is very serious about this. And what they are going to do to continue to observe the Sabbath. But... How does that apply to us as Christians in the 21st century? We're not Jews. 
Why do, we, why do we observe on Sunday instead of Saturday? Is that a big deal? And should I still have a Sabbath in my life? Those are questions that we need to ask and apply because our relationship with God is really, it, it doesn't change in Christ. He is the Lord our God. There is, there is no name under heaven by which men shall be saved. Our Lord Jesus Christ. There are, there are no idols. And so the name to us ought to be revered. What role does the Sabbath play? Is Christ our Sabbath? Can we work on Sundays? Can we work on Saturdays? Can we work on Tuesdays? What difference does it make? We'll talk about this next week because I'm out of time right now. So think about it.